Hello, welcome to Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping the idea of work as play. We're so excited to be launching Series 2, so welcome back, lovely listeners, and thank you for joining us. I'm Lucy Taylor from the Make Work Play Project, an organization on a mission to use the power of play to unlock potential and possibility. And I'm Zuki Stewart from Playfield, a startup helping organizations to enable everyone to rediscover their creativity through playful wonder and serendipity. We've got some really exciting guests for you this season, from Catherine Price, author of The Power of Fun, which Oprah Winfrey described as a shortcut to boosting your joy, through to Alison James, a playful academic leading a play revolution in higher education. Today, I'll be interviewing the brilliant Colonel Jason Togatrue, a colonel in the US Air Force who helps airmen reintegrate intuition, creativity, storytelling, and play into strategic thinking. Beginning his career as a fighter pilot in the US Air Force in 1999, where he picked up the name Toga, he flew in both operational and training squadrons before falling in love with teaching and transitioning to academics. He has a PhD in the history of technology and researches the interactions between strategy, play, creativity, storytelling and innovation. In his role as a military educator, he led a design team to create concepts to educate members of the new US Space Force and commanded the Premier Leadership School in the Department of Defence Squadron Officer School. He now sits as Commandant and Dean of the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies at the Air University in Alabama, where he teaches strategy to the creme de la creme of the US Air Force. He is a Lego serious play facilitator, has studied with the likes of the Stanford D School and IDOU, and is an Ironman triathlon coach. To top it all off, he's a senior pilot with over 1,200 flying hours in fighter and trainer aircraft. In this episode, we explore the relationship between play and power, how even being in the military, it can be a case of enlightened muddling through, and how the best use of play can often be where it doesn't feel quite right to play. Before we start, a little disclaimer. The views Colonel True expresses here are his personal views and do not reflect the official policy or endorsement by the US Air Force, Department of Defense, or the US government. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. I feel honored by the invitation and really, you know, like I feel like I need to be some sort of like successful entrepreneur and write a few books and have a viral TED talk before I'm at the, you know, the same level as your other guests. So this is super exciting. Well, I wouldn't be so sure about that. So when I, when I um, read your LinkedIn profile, the first time I came across you, I was like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? I have to talk to him. Because you describe yourself as helping airmen reintegrate intuition, creativity, storytelling, and play into strategic thinking. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what does that mean in the context of the Air Force? In general, I, I have to say that, that yes, it's inspiring. It's, at least it's inspiring to me and it's aspirational right? It's, it's what I strive to do. Uh, I would say most of what I've come across in my adult life has been inspired by mistakes and deficiencies and short-term problem solving. There's definitely not any 
special wisdom or grand plan uh, that I've had. So I stumbled onto this. I think a lot of what is good in life, we sort of stumble upon. Uh, I was training for the triathlon race season and had gotten plantar fasciitis. That led me to a wonderful little book by Mark Sisson called Primal Connections. There was a footnote in that book to Dr. Stuart Brown's book on play, which I then read and followed his footnotes and just realized there's this entire whole field of study about play that I, I didn't know. And you know, simultaneously in my academic world, uh, at the time, I was a student in the same school that I'm back at now as the, as the dean and commandant. And it's this year-long, very intense study about strategy. Uh, essentially, you're reading a book a day, you're writing a thesis. And I was writing on the value of storytelling for strategic thinking. And story adds cognitive play. And so play shows up there as well. But what really struck me was, was this. When I was reading journals on play, actually felt like I was reading about strategy. Yeah. It was kind of hard. Yeah, it was really interesting that you could almost take quotes and uh, substitute play for strategy or, or, or vice versa. Um, and, then, and then that was starting to happen as I was entering my PhD, which is the history of technology, and really took a deep dive into the role of play and innovation, uh, which for me was the story of the metaphor was rescuing Icarus, right? We need both the pragmatic, daedalist, and a playful child. And in the course of that research, I kept coming across the same things like strategy, you know, uh, play, uh, and design. Uh, I will say I didn't really get into design or design thinking until after I graduated my PhD program and I went to squadron officer school. Uh, about one third of our curriculum was about design. And again, I, I think I was drawn to it because it was so counter to how I normally approached life. You know, these ideas of creative confidence and rapid prototyping and empathy and the very playful methods and mindset, they were so foreign to me, uh, but useful and, and, and absent really from the work environment. And so I, I feel like I'm sort of on a mission uh, as described in, you know, that aspirational statement on LinkedIn, right? To try to help airmen so that the people in the Air Force, whether they're civilian, enlisted, or officers, uh, do those things, right? Respect the intuition that they, they are creative individuals. Uh, and the world that we live in is a very playful world, the world of flight and, uh, and strategic thinking to put it all towards a purpose. Wow. I mean, there's so much in there that I find fascinating. And like you said something, you said, you know, as you entered this world of design thinking, you were like, wow, this is completely different. And you've used, um, you know, in that description that I felt so drawn to how you've described your work, you talk about this reintegration. Like, where do you think, you know, we all begin life playful, we love stories as children, we're like totally tuned into our creativity. Like, where does that go missing? Like, why is there a need to reintegrate? What do you think happens? The short answer, I think, is that because we get better and we get more powerful, so we don't need to play. Hmm. And so I'll, if I could unpack that for just a bit. Go for it. Uh, play is a lot of things, right? Play, it, it's a lot of things to a lot of different people. But I am most intrigued by how play is an approach to a world that's complex and confusing. And when we 
don't have a predetermined answer or the power to force our will onto a situation. In other words, kind of the situation we find ourselves when we're children, right? In those situations, you have to rely on this sort of cunning and creativity to explore what's around you, to navigate the things that you can't change and to creatively nudge the things that you can to put things in play, you know, so to speak. Uh, but then we mature and we collect the set of responses to the world that work sufficiently enough. And we gain power in the form of experience and authority and resources. And we start to believe that this sort of mechanical image of efficiency is applicable to humans. It, it isn't. Uh, and then play just seems like fun and inefficient, uh, something to do if you could spare the time and you've earned it and not actually a strategy to perform better, which is how it starts in our life, I think. Yeah. So that suggests to me, so you you said that like when, when my kids, the world is like confusing and complex and with power, would it be fair to say there's like an illusion of control that maybe doesn't exist? I agree. <laughs> there, there is a, there's a mythology around agency in a way. Um, and I'm not a, a a psychologist, and there's a whole world of academics that I'm not in, but you know, I have an opinion, right? Uh, and I, you hear things like we we make decisions based on emotions, and then we justify the decisions based on yeah. logic. Uh, but we're really, you know, going through this world in a way that is more about intuition and our strategic sense of it, not sort of some reverse engineered plan of like we know what we want and we figured out the most efficient way to get there. I really feel like it's this more like enlightened muddling through of, you know, you take one step, you see what's around you, and then you take another step based on what the is emerging in the situation. And all that I think is, it's very playful and humble. I, I, that is like my new favorite phrase, enlightened muddling through. And I would certainly say that like maybe not so much enlightened, but muddling through defines my life, <laughs> you know, figuring it out. But like, it's not a phrase that I would associate with the military. Like that my my assumption as an outsider is that it's it's planned, it's got rules, it's got structure. It's uh, so like the those two phrase, you know, those two worlds together, my like muddling through, sometimes enlightened, sometimes not so enlightened, being applied to this world that you're inhabiting. Like, how does that work? You know, in some ways the play and the military are, are not at odds. Um, and I could give examples uh, in which there is play. And that sort of gets to a, a challenge I think we have, uh, people who are advocating for play. When we have very loose definitions of play, play can sort of become anything. You know, our, our war games play is the tradition of uh, airmen singing songs. Uh, is that playful? You know, there's this sort of bacchanalian stories of excess drinking and partying. And, you know, is that play? And if so, you know, kind of forces us to confront that some forms of play may not be healthy uh, and inclusive. Sure. But, but yes, you know, we definitely value discipline. Do you think it's possible to play, you know, where you don't have that, um, that kind of structural power? Do you think there is space for it in other places within a hierarchy i do i would hope that some people sort of have the courage to to live into that playfulness and i think a little bit goes a long way 
Um, and I think leaders can demonstrate yeah. it. They could, they could be explicit about it. They could say, this is, this is what I've done and this is why I've done it. You know, try this on yourself and see, see if it works for you, see in what ways it works uh, for you and, and help individuals sort of build the sensibility of, of discerning when it's, when it's appropriate and how it's appropriate. Cause it's, it's yeah. definitely, it's definitely not appropriate all no. the time. Right. I think that's obvious. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And do you think, like, what are those moments where it is actually not appropriate? Like, it's not okay. Playfulness, no, we can leave you at the door. I think, so flying is a good example <laughs> where on the surface, you would think this is not an aspect to be playful. Uh, but but flight, you know, from a historical perspective, and this is what I really came across and discovered for myself doing research. Because again, before I, I approach things from, from sort of the techno rationalist perspective. And what kept surprising me is I was coming across references to flight and, and sort of the, the aspect that, that it ennobled, uh, some, like a human spirit, a, you know, a, the freedom of it, the artistic impression of it, all those things. For me, it was just a scientific endeavor, right? These are scientific engineered machines uh, that are based on physics, but there's a lot that's based on psyche as well. Uh, I, I tried to capture that in in the book, uh, The Icarus Solution, uh, but really there's this sort of beautiful melding of science and, and the human spirit in flight. Now, besides that, there I would have to say that the time I felt really unprepared to play uh, was in the workplace was when we were guiding our organization through the initial response to COVID. And there was this big, you know, uh, what is happening? Like, how do we care for our students? We had 700 students from all over the world and they had just shown up. And then the national emergency in the United States was declared five days into the course. And so what, how do we take care of our faculty? How do we take care of these students? And I had been preaching the values of play for at least a year at that point, you know, making presentations and coaching people to be more playful and, you know, host hosting giant games of rock, paper, scissors <laughs> and, you know, learning improv games from my brother. And, and then in that moment, like just sitting around the table, I felt like a hypocrite, like, like play just feels inappropriate in this moment. And, and I'm left to sort of the, what I had been critiquing, like this sort of just somber, everyone sitting around wondering what to do next, uh, which is not a very effective way, I think, to, to ignite our creativity. Um, so I, I had a little bit of scar tissue from that. And so I was even more anticipating it being harder when I, when I deployed. Um, cause then I felt like of all places to not play, this, this will be it. Right. Uh, whereas. People sort of expected me to play, you know, and when I was facilitating workshops or preaching about rescuing Icarus and all those things. And so, uh, but when I show up and there's blood and treasure on the line, uh, I thought play was just going to have to be something that I could only steal from, you know, moments to get to tend to myself. As it turned out, I think problem solving uh, and setting the conditions for the team to perform well playfulness actually enabled both those mm. things to, to my surprise it wasn't the sort of overt explicit playfulness it was something a little different 
a lot of what we did when we deployed is obviously stuff that um, is classified. But one of the things that we did that's in the in the open source is we deconflicted with the Russians who were flying aircraft in Syria in close proximity to our aircraft, our coalition aircraft. And I, you know, I have the three-star general on our side on one side of me. I have the the Russian general on the other side on the phone. And I remember running through scenarios in my mind about what, how this could play out in ways that I was not going to voice to the three-star general because then he's going to think I'm just loony, right? But that ends up like producing some interesting ideas. And when I, you know, kind of happen upon the one, it's like, yes, like that's the right balance of crazy. And it, it's going to, I think it's going to work. You know, I'll say that idea. I just won't explain to him that I got to it through a playful method. Yeah, I love that. So, and that's a very kind of personal kind of play. Like, you know, you're running that through in your own brain and giving yourself this like expansiveness to mentally play in what sounds like a very kind of boxed it you, you know you're physically boxed in but like your mind being very expansive which is really interesting to me how your physiology could be so different to what's going on in your brain and come up with something so useful i i agree i, I think there's a caveat that you know collective intelligence and the, the so-called extended mind is perhaps where we condition ourselves like it, it, it's a team sport right and and that enables those sort of moments that might seem like the individual is doing it. Uh, but I really know I've, I've been nurtured in a community of people that have helped me grow these skills. And I think that's important too, right? It's never the heroic individual, uh, even if it seems like that, even that's the way we tell the story because it just sort of makes sense that way. Uh, it's always a community of practice. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is a beautifully generous, um, yeah acknowledgement like we are all steeped in the work and the the thinking and the beliefs of those who've come before us right hard to untangle yeah right there's you know where we get those things from like i don't remember any particular lesson that i was taught uh in grade school but obviously they you know imparted skills onto me and i have a a sort of generic gratitude and I know how they made me feel, right? I don't remember a specific thing they said, but I remember, you know, this feeling from both teachers along the way and family and friends, my wife and my family you know, of just support, right? That we uh we go out from. And I guess that gets back to the idea of being safe and supported and stretched. Yeah. Lovely. So I'm really so you recently wrote an article which um was about the playful splinters that are kind of embedded in your brain at the moment. And one of them that I find really interesting was this play ideologue problem. So where we're like uncritically um, kind of evangelical about why play at work is such a great thing. And I definitely fall into that camp. Like <laughs> this podcast is called Why Play Work. So there's a kind of assumption there that it works. Like tell me like a little bit about your thinking on this. So, you know, is it always a good thing? Like where where have you netted out on that splinter have you got it out <laughs> the you know i'm still trying to grasp at it right uh so that's and that was sort of a, a public airing of stuff that's i i'm still playing around with in my mind uh so because again because i i i know at some point i've got to get this out of my head and get dialogue with other smart people like yourself uh you know about how did how does this fit what does it what does it mean what are perspectives i'm not uh i'm not considering 
for that one in particular, I, I think you're right. And, and I'm guilty of it as well. Uh, I have just, I have seen other things, you know, design thinking is one of them, right? Where because it was pushed so hard, there's sort of a, a recaging, sort of a backlash. And, and I don't want the same to happen to play. Sure. I don't, I don't want us to overstate the case so that when people find places where it is inappropriate or where it doesn't work, which is true, uh, we don't throw the, the whole thing out. Uh, but I get it. I get why we need at, at the very beginning, if you're trying to, to nudge a, a giant ship, giant cruise ship, and you're trying to nudge it, you can't just kind of come along and gently with your, your tugboat kind of just nudge it along a little bit one degree. You probably have to come at it hard from 90 degrees to make even the smallest little dent. So I get this sort of strategy of, hey, why does play work? Well, and clever title, by the way. <laughs> and I love clever titles. So why play works. Wonderful. Thanks. I applaud you and your co-host for that. Um, I, I see that. I see why we need to make that. Um, but we, we just need to be a little cautious and, and understand that there are limits. Uh, hey, again, I am, I am patient zero for, for this problem. I, so I, you can't see this because we're on a podcast, but I have my, my Lego spaceman shirt on. And if you remember the movie, uh, he's always like, Hey, can I build a spaceship? Can I build a spaceship? <laughs> and, and finally at the end, they're like, build a spaceship. He's like, yes. I feel like that's, I get to talk, when I get to talk about play, uh, it's like that. I'm like, can I talk about play? Can I talk about play? And then finally someone's like, Hey, why don't you come talk about play? Yes. It's happening. Didn't, um, didn't you, didn't you actually so go and get to talk about play with NASA recently? I That's did. pretty cool. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was, yes. Oh, I, yes. Life is, life has just been great. I, I went to France for the first time. This is an aside. Uh, we took our students to France. We toured various battlefields, very impactful educational experience, but we found ourselves in Paris. Uh, on a Friday afternoon and it, we were done for the day. And I sort of, I met the, I decided to go to the Louvre. I have never been, I had no expectations. I had no plan. My cell phone wasn't working. I ended up just wandering around the place and it was amazing. I've got goosebumps. And, and uncovered so many things, including like Icarus up on the ceiling. I didn't even know it was there. Uh, but I, I feel like that's what's happened lately. I've been wandering around and different people are like, come in this room. Hey, these are some great people. Let's talk about play. Uh, you, right? Hey, let's talk about playing a podcast. It's just, it's been fun. Yay. Um, I had goosebumps when you were telling me about you're just wandering around the Louvre, like, wow, for the first time. How exciting. So I think from our perspective, you know, this is why we're doing this podcast because we feel it needs, it's got an image problem and it needs kind of rehabilitating as a, as an idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not just the type of visible, very explicit play that looks like a game where someone has set up boundaries and said, in this time and place, we can do these things in this way. You know, this is, this is sort of the bounded play, play time, uh, and game. But again, to go back to this idea of like warped play, um, how can play be a useful tool for creative problem solving in moments that seem to be completely the opposite of when you'd want play to happen. I, I think play works in those situations as well. And I hope that starts to become part of our conversation about the value of play. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it requires real courage to kind of stick with it in those moments when it's not when it's not the obvious path. 
Yes, exactly. So you, you can do this internally, right? And then it, it, that's a little less courage required because you're not revealing how you're doing things. Uh, but I do think as leaders, it's important to talk about it. And I'll be honest, I, so every night when I was deployed and I worked seven days a week, uh, we would do a sync meeting uh, with the, the ops floor and, and the battle director. So there were three battle directors. I'd come on shift. We'd all kind of get on the same uh, same page, level the bubble with each other. And I started every meeting by asking people if they felt safe, supported in such meaningful ways. And it was awkward. I mean, I, I thought like, I'm going to do this thing, but every moment, every day for the first week or so, I was like, oh, am I going to, am I really going to say this? It's sort of like cringeworthy. Um, and I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. Uh, and then there was one night, you know, where it like, made me a month or two into it. I, I didn't ask, uh, and I was just sort of interested, interested to see what would happen. And, and what Dom at the end of the table was like, sir, wait, before we go any further, I, I think you're missing something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of curious if, <laughs> if people wanted that, you know, or not. And, uh, he's like, oh, we need it. We need it. So I was like, yes, that, that was a little bit. That was a lot encouraging, yeah. uh, to be honest. But yes, it takes some courage to do the weird things and to, to invoke play, uh, whether it's the sort of typical orthodox version of play or the unorthodox, let's be crazy with wild ideas sort of warp yeah. play. Yeah, I mean, I had goosebumps, like soul shivers when you said, you know, you'd given, you'd given them permission by starting this ritual and you'd maybe given them something that they didn't know they needed. And then... And then, you know, when it was absent, they were like, hang on, we need this. I love, I love that. Yeah, you've reintegrated something there, haven't you? I tried, you know, and that's what we hope, right? Like, we hope that we are making some contribution to this larger project of every individual's experience. And I, I do felt, I do feel like it was, it was useful. And it, it was sort of unexpected too, right? They, uh, at one point, someone said, I kind of, I kind of don't understand how you ended up being a colonel. Like, how are you, how are right. you the way you are? And no, I think it as a compliment, you know, uh, they're like, how are you the way you are? And you've made it through our, our bureaucracy. Um, and then I had to say, well, you know, I've, I've learned over the last, only recently sort of, I've learned to live into this identity, uh, this more playful, uh, designer type role. So, uh, so that's part of it. And the other part of it is maybe just, you know, the kindness of others and, and grace and good fortune. I don't know. Well, whatever it is, it's awesome. But I'd love to know, I mean, you've spoken a little bit about different kinds of play, but like, what does play mean to you? That's a nice, juicy question. <laughs> um, and okay, so you asked what it means to me and not necessarily how to define it. No, not how to define it comprehensively because we could be here for several right. days. I mean, like, yes. I mean, so I, the academic part of my brain goes, oh, like what is the definition? But, but you've asked an, an easier, I've more personal question. I've asked you, question. Toga, so, what play means to you. Which is a good question. So I'll say one, the study of play is this like wonderful rabbit hole that I have fallen into. Uh, and really enjoy, and it's been really insightful and, and a strange journey. And two, the, I'd say play itself is this underappreciated superpower that, uh, again, paradoxically is probably most useful and most needed, uh, in those moments when it seems not quite right. 
right as in appropriate or applicable, right? So matters when we're, you know, there's these mysteries and these sort of risky dilemmas and our impulse is to be serious. Uh, In that sense, that sort of play uh, that I think of as unorthodox and sort of uh, centrifugal uh, and even a touch subversive um, is, is what I was describing when, uh, when I was deployed uh, and I found it useful, you know, since then. Um, and without, you know, I, I, I don't want to go into any more details about what uh, was the point. I've already mentioned it and there's a lot of things I, I can't say, but I do want to offer one example why I felt really playful yeah, recently. Please. So... And it was also sort of not quite right. <laughs> uh, my youngest got the 11 and for Christmas, my wife had ordered him these, they're called hover shoes. It's like a hover board. So it's, it's one of those, but it's two independent shoes. You stand on, you lean forward and you go forward, you lean back, you go back. It's awesome. And the dude lives on roller skates, sometimes also in a dinosaur costume. So we thought perfect fit for this guy. Uh, we get it. We're trying them out. And, I'm, I'm, most kids do this. We, our family does this notoriously after about like five minutes or like, okay, here's how the thing is supposed to work. We're like, Ooh, what if it did this? Or like, how can we mess with it? Or how can we like use it in a way it wasn't intended for? Uh, and so our oldest, uh, our oldest ends up like sitting on it and he's like, Oh, it's like a, it's like a little go-kart. And I'm, I'm sure we're breaking all sorts of rules and, you know, the lawyers for the company would not be happy with us. Um, but then that follows. And I think our middle was in like, oh, race course. And so we start moving furniture out, out to the side. And then my wife says, oh, let's get some tape out, like painter's tape. And we like make a, (laughs) we actually outline a course and then there's music and there's official timekeepers. And then, you know, it's like the best Christmas night ever. And we're timing each other and setting records. It all ends abruptly, honestly, when, uh, we decide Let's turn off the light. And then immediately uh, someone crashes into a lamp. It all falls. There's sort of this moment of like, oh, uh, like we crossed the line. And I and my wife was just like, oh, well, you know, and everyone, and it sort of like broke the tension. Everyone's cheering. And anyway, I think that's the most playful I felt in a long time. It had this both element of like, we're not, we're not following the rules and just like, your fun with others. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I i couldn't possibly tell my son that such cool things exist. <laughs> or maybe I will. Maybe I'll save it for his next birthday. But that sounds awesome. And I love the, um, just like pushing, some, like playing with something until it breaks, until you break it. You broke it. And then you, cele- and then you oh, celebrated yes, like the breaking or the failure or the, there's like, it just, there's an exuberance and a kind of, yeah, fearlessness to that story that I love. Have you got any other examples you can share with us about, you know, how you have used play in your work? So like in your teaching, you know, in your role as a member of the Air Force, like how has that shown up and, you know, what what has it done for you? I can give a couple of examples. Uh, some of these ended up in uh, Professor James's book uh, on play that she recently released. Uh, which is a, a great resource. Uh, but at Squadron Officer School, we were teaching 100% of Air Force officers at the at the captain level. So they're five to seven years or so into into being an officer. Uh, 
they're in their late 20s on average. And we did a lot of explicit play where we were doing Lego serious play or we're doing games and challenges all with a, you know, for a curricular reason. All right. And this is why our, our faculty were very good at debriefing because, you know, the goal of getting through this thing, Project X, it's sort of an obstacle course, but it's, you have to think uh, how, how to, how you and your team are going to get through the task. Um, the debrief is the moment where you say, Hey, like, this is not really about tying a knot. Is it right? It's not. We, we all know that. So what is this really about? Like we sort of played this game. Uh, what did you get from it? What are you going to get back to your home station and, and take from this experience? Um, and so there was, there was play and it's a, it's a younger cohort and they were generally willing to engage, you know, a giant rock, paper, scissors contest and things like that. Uh, it didn't take much for them to get excited. So there's that to go to the, the deeper. And I think the, what's really more interesting to me sort of play is, is play as sort of this strict a way we condition ourselves for strategic sense. Uh, and I mean that to differentiate it from just strategic thinking, right? Something that sort of in, integrates up, um, intuition and emotions and the subjective and the collective intelligence. Um, I, and I think about this, uh, to use the words of James Carr's great book about finite and infinite games. Um, we're going to try to prepare ourselves against surprise, but we ultimately must be prepared to be surprised. Uh, and that sort of stamp, uh, builds some, a capacity, uh, whether it's, you know, physical or emotional or mental or social or even spiritual. And I think that capacity relates to our ability to be strategists, um, and, and not just produce a written strategy document, uh, but to think in, systematic terms over different time horizons in very creative and critical ways uh, as, as things emerge, mm. right? So that's the part that I'm really interested in and I'm really, I, I don't know how yet to integrate that into the education of our strategists, but it's, it's really on my heart and mind these days. I mean, that's so interesting. I've done a lot of work with improv theater in my life and I know your brother is an improv teacher, but that stance is like an improvisational stance. And an improv, you often call it like fit and well. And what I think is so interesting about that is there's like this really embodied aspect to that. It's a stance. It's like, I'm ready to catch whatever is thrown at me, you know, physically, metaphorically, intellectually, emotionally. It's a kind of openness and a willingness to work with what comes and notice what comes. Absolutely. So, and, and, and to be attuned to it and, and to others on your team as they perceive the, the emergent moment and, and how to react. They're, we're back to that sort of enlightened muddling or, uh, my brother has taught me this awesome saying of like having the plan and holding it tightly in an open oh, hand. Oh, I love that. So that, right. So as, as you just let it, if the situation doesn't warrant your plan, your preformed notion of how you're going to get what you think you want, uh, you just let it go. Um, uh, and, I, I mean, that's, this is the power of Lego serious play, right? Of, you know, working with your hands and building these sort of 3D prints of your thoughts and the metaphors that come out of, you know, as you try to grasp. And there we go, right? This is just very baked into our language, right? Like physically grasp, but also conceptually grasp what's happening in that moment. Um, 
Yeah. Yes. So that that embodiment. How do we how do we teach strategists to to leverage that? Uh, that is what I'm interested in. It, it's not everything, right? We're we're, we're not going to build a strategy on intuition alone, but we can't deny that that intuition at the same time. We can't deny the the role of storytelling, and we can't. And you know, in fact, I, you know, you can define stories as uh, a set of characters seeking to prevail in a given context, and that's exactly how you can describe strategy, right? A set of characters seeking to prevail in a context. So. How do we bring that storytelling logic uh, to to formal strategy for an organization? Yeah, yeah. And I just love that idea of like how that you're bringing this embodied knowing, intuition, wisdom into this military context, which seems so counterintuitive, but I feel delighted that it's going on. It's happening. <laughs> it doesn't always happen well, um, you know. Some of that's my own fault, right? Because I'm I'm still honing my craft to be the right advocate of of play. Uh, and sometimes it's it's not what fits the moment. Um, I've explored different ways of introducing it, talking about Lego as the secret strategic thinking tool that you know was developed in Denmark, and we we pretended it's a toy so that you know we people won't uncover our super secret you know <laughs> tool that we've discovered. Um, but Yes, it's it's not always what the audience wants. And that's important, right? Like as facilitators, as leaders, as designers, we're always trying to empathize uh, with the user and the audience. And uh, if, if play is going to turn people off, then I'm going to either have to bake play in sort of as a Trojan horse uh, or uh, or find something that that they'll they'll participate with. Right. Yeah. So th- this is a great question to highlight my split personality (laughs) so i'm of two minds when it comes to what i engage in whether it's play or design or strategy and and sometimes i'm wearing my hat as a as an act uh, and sometimes i tackle it as a practitioner uh and the two perspectives don't always play well together uh and 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 that's okay right um it's a little like uh isaiah berlin that his famous tension between the hedgehog the hedgehog's coherent master view of everything and then the diversity and chaos of the fox right and and the fox is really the the way to go uh, so on one side i you know the academic side i get wrapped up in all sort of semantics and the, the etymology and intellectual history and so on uh I, i'll tell you a good example the very first episode of this podcast with robert he mentioned play as a technology and in a scholarly sense I, you know, I, I took that in and I, I have doubts a little bit whether that actually works. You know, does that honor the, the real meaning of that word? Uh, but practically, does it matter? Right. No. Does it, does that, does that phrase help us make sense? You know, does it help us manufacture meaning? Is it useful? Uh, I think so. Right. So, uh, and I, that same sort of distinction between play and playfulness, it exists for me. So academically, there's that rabbit hole that I fall down uh, about what's the difference in these two things. And I, you know, I wrote this whole essay and then I threw it away because I'm like, no, that's just wrong. <laughs> uh, but but it practically, uh, for me, practically in the moment, the, the point I, I make with people that I think is useful is that you can be playful outside the bounds of formal, recognizable 
explicit yes. play. Uh, and if we're going to appreciate play at work, uh, we have to frame that in a way that doesn't limit the power of play to just games. Um, we, 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 can, we can see it as an attitude, a disposition, a sentiment, a sensibility, uh, a tool, so technology. And like all tools, it can be used for good purposes or bad purposes. It can use well or poorly. Uh, but yeah, we can definitely be playful without play. Yes, I love that. And, and you have also done a lot of um, design thinking work. And am I right in saying that you have a similar distinction that you make between design and design fullness? Yes, I do. Uh, and and I, I totally imported that from play and playfulness because I, I'm not a trained designer, right? I, I participated in a lot of design thinking education. Uh, and as I facilitated more and more, uh, I noticed something in myself that was sort of outside of a formal design event. I, I was thinking more like a designer, um, at least a little bit, right? So, you know, the, the Stanford D school, uh, which is not the only way to approach design thinking, uh, but it's a very accessible one. Uh, it, it starts with empathy. And I would say I, I probably am, was not the most empathetic person. It was sort of a, a, an area, a learning edge for me. Uh, and I found that even when I wasn't, you know, doing formal design and formal empathy work, whether it's interviews or mapping user journeys, ethnographic observation, all those things, I, I kind of felt I was becoming more empathetic. And, and and so when I was trying to wrap my mind around how to describe this, I ended up importing that same distinction and, and calling it designfulness. And I presented that idea at the Savannah College of Art and Design to like real professional designers and grad students. And no one threw anything <laughs> at me. Which, so, I, so I guess... It, I guess it it comported with their their view of the world, or at least they're just really nice people. Not to not to heckle me in that moment. <laughs> well, it certainly makes sense to me, and I think there's something you know there's something lovely and very portable about both the idea of playfulness and designfulness. Yeah, I think so, and and I really have a hard time teasing out how is designfulness different than playfulness. I mean that that Venn diagram is has a lot of overlap in, in my mind. Um, but I do have a question for you, if that's yeah. fair. Uh, totally on your fair. podcast. So a lot of your guests, and I've loved all the guests. They've been amazing. I've noticed a lot of them share uh, a, a common experience with design and design mm. thinking. And I was wondering if you had an idea why that is. Well, maybe you've just said it. Like, I think there is a lot of overlap between the two. So I think... I mean, and I'm not a design thinking expert by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I think there is a sense of like holding things lightly. There's a curiosity. There's a um, kind of creativity and kind of co-creative aspect of design thinking that I think, yeah, as you said, shares a lot of characteristics with play and playfulness and I guess mm. like I don't know if the sort of people that design thinking attracts are kind of just playful in nature they like playing with ideas they like playing with others um yeah and I guess that like coming back to your concept of warp play you know there's an element of that in design isn't it like taking one thing and mashing it with another and seeing where that takes you would be my sense I mean it hasn't been an intentional 
Um, like we need to find lots of design thinkers. But that's just kind of how it's fallen for these first few episodes. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, some, yeah, something to explore, right? I, I do, I agree there is something, you know, one of the things that attracts me to this idea of warped play, which which came out of, I don't know where it came from in my mind or or what I've heard over the years and read, but it, I ended up like essentially staying up all night one day when I was deployed. I was right on the verge of sort of abandoning play. I was like, it just means everything. And, you know, the concerns about being an ideologue, all that. And then that sort of is what recovered it for me in that moment. And so I was just had one night of, you know, writing all these things down. But but one of the reasons I liked Warp is because it does have this hands-on uh, sense of like manipulate, fabricating, you know, all these things that relate to, to embodied knowledge and sort of where design really gets its roots and our ability to to manipulate an yeah. object, right? And and all that all that yeah. entails. Yeah, I love that. So before we finish, we ask all of our guests to share a playful practice, something that, you know, people who want to experiment with play at work could take and have a go at. And I wondered if you had something you could share. So I knew this was coming, <laughs> right? Because I've listened to all the other episodes and they've been great. Uh, I was trying to think, what could I say that's different? Because there, there's been so much brilliance shared. And so I... I'll tell you, my mind ranged from cold showers to writing haikus to prep for a test to kind of my warm up for my runs that involves like skipping and crawling. <laughs> and, um, but here's where I landed, right? As one thing to do, uh, it's an exercise in reframing. You can do it with others. And I think it really, it actually helps diffuse some tension. So it's really useful. Uh, so imagine you're in a okay. car. You can do this anywhere, but I find... This is where it happens for me. You're on your commute. You're locked in. You're getting to where you need to go. You're listening to your favorite podcast, whatever. Um, and then a stranger does something that bothers you, right? So in traffic, you know, someone cuts you off or something. And my immediate unenlightened response is, you know, that jerk, you know, like there's judgment, it's instant aggravation. I feel a tension in my chest. Uh, and then I challenge myself, like, like what would be a rational, viable, acceptable reason for what they just did. Um, and usually it's like, maybe their dog's dying, they're on the way to emergency, to the vet, you know, or something. And then I'm like, hey, well, what, what else could it be? And it gets like goofier and, and crazier along the way. And then it becomes fun, right? Uh, and it's like, oh, oh, what if, you know, and you construct this entire implausible scenario about what they're doing and you sort of have forgotten long now that you you actually got frustrated and it didn't really matter at all and uh i find that this is a really useful trick <laughs> uh when i'm commuting to work so I, there you go that that's my tip for a playful there's practice there's so much i love about that one because i have to drive my son to school every day you know and i get the road rage sometimes so i'm definitely going to try that and two that you've given us something that is so easy to slot into our day so thank you Absolutely. Um, thank you for that. And also just a massive thank you for being a brilliant guest on Why Play Works and sharing, you know, such depth and breadth of insight and knowledge and wisdom about play. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. It, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Hopefully it's helpful to anyone. I'm happy to talk play at any time with anyone. Can I? 
Do we have time? Can I add? Two yeah, quick please. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, most, if not all of what I've said has been stolen from other people. Right. And I, and I really try hard to credit where I've gotten different ideas from, but there's so many great things from so many great people. I inevitably fail at that. So I just want to say like, thank, thank you to, to them. Right. And, uh, I'm thankful, right. I'm just a note of gratitude for all those people who have contributed to the larger conversation. Uh, so there's that. And secondly, so I know this is going to live on the interwebs, but you know, I think we should all reserve the right to change our mind about <laughs> any of these things, right? Cause, uh, I'm certainly not a finished product and I hope no one who listens to this gets the misconception that one play is this magic thing that's going to always work or that I have things figured out. Right. Um, and I love that in the first episode, Robert admits to like forgetting to play sometimes and then sort of gracefully returning to it. Uh, and we're all just sort of messy creatures. We're evolving. And that's kind of the point, right? We, we play to learn, uh, and we learn different things and we change our minds and, you know, as children, we don't need to learn to play, but maybe as adults, yeah. we do. Or we need to know. relearn, reintegrate back to your, back to where yes. we started. There you go. And and there's a, and, the, and this podcast has a yeah. has a role. It plays a role yeah. in that. Lovely. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Toga. It's been a delight. Same. Thank you very much. So, Lucy, how was your conversation with Toga? Yeah, it was lovely. I really enjoyed it. And I think the, the biggest thing I'm going to take away is that military people are also enlightenedly muddling through. That was <laughs> that came as a real surprise and joy to me that that sense of, you know, we don't all have it figured out. Absolutely. And and kind of linked to that, there's something he said quite early in your conversation, which I just, I had to pause and write it down and think about it he said something on the lines of most of what i've been inspired by is mistakes deficiencies and short-term problem solving and i was just like mm. oh, imagine that just saying yeah everything you've been inspired by is mistakes and i thought that is i found that really profound actually um and exactly that this idea of kind of muddling through we're allowed to change our minds we're in completely kind of works in progress, hopefully right to the end of our lives. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I love that reflection of his. Yeah. And the freedom that comes with that, you know, mm. if we embrace that concept. Kind of linked to that idea of iteration, work in progress, this idea of, um, and, and again, enlightened muddling through, which is just a fantastic term, was this idea of kind of stumbling upon discoveries. And again, just phrase to use, just like, I've got to use that as like following the footnotes. So you read something and you kind of go into the footnotes and you follow those to the next part. And then and he said, and then it took me to this book and then I followed the footnotes of that book and it led me to this. And it's kind of like the breadcrumbs, you know, the, the, the stumbling upon discoveries, following footnotes, kind of finding the next piece of the puzzle. Um, yeah. I, just, I love that. Yeah, that's that. It's so, um, just sounds so enjoyable. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I really liked what he said about doing the check-in with his colleagues and he felt really awkward doing it to start with and actually he pushed through that awkwardness yeah and kept going and then you know when he he lost his comfort thought or maybe maybe they're not enjoying this and stopped actually he he'd given them this thing that they didn't know they they needed and i Mm. think that staying with the awkward feeling 
where you're not sure if it's the right thing and just sticking with that discomfort for a bit longer, I think can be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. You just said the word discomfort and it's often seen as a negative thing, something to be avoided, but discomfort doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I love the idea of sitting with the fact that it's uncomfortable and trying to push past that. Um, yeah, I learned a lot from that. And I, I also really like this idea of how to kind of think about strategic thinking and, and kind of problem solving. You need that kind of analytical head, but you also need the playful child. And how I was thinking mm. in just kind of workshops and meetings in our day to day, how that playful child is not welcome in the conversation and it, it does not have a role, does not have a seat at the table. And it just kind of got me thinking what would happen if in these kind of routine business interactions and meetings when you're trying to solve a problem, you almost have like a rotating role of someone using, like who had to take on that playful child role. And it was like mm -hmm. a hat they would wear just for that meeting. And, and next time it'd be someone else's turn to use that. And it's just, you kind of had this mandate to ask certain questions or to throw certain suggestions out there. And I thought that was really freeing it or it could be really freeing because it eradicates this need for people to either self-identify as being playful and kind of having that to offer. Because I think a lot of people don't think they are playful or don't think they are creative and they kind of opt out of this. Whereas if it was something that you didn't have to deem yourself playful or not, but it was your turn that day to kind of channel this role, I just thought that could be really freeing because it kind of gives everyone this small bit of permission or this small piece of time yeah. to, to kind of play that role. And yeah, I thought that was something I... I would love to see being used. Mm, I love that idea. I also thought um, what he said about play conditioning our strategic sense and that mm. not being an intellectual thing, but being a stance. So that ability to be in the moment, to respond to things as they emerge um, and being that, that more kind of instinctual place mm. and that being an important part of strategy was really interesting to me. Mm, absolutely. There was also something about he was saying um, in his recollections about the, the the Russian military representative next to him, and it was a very kind of high stakes, obviously you know high conflict situation. And he was talking about how he was kind of internally taking that playful stance. And again, I just found it freeing that, that he was saying in his experience, you didn't need to be kind of overt in your playfulness or to, or to conform to other people's ideas of what playfulness looked like, that you can be kind of in your own head. You can be taking a very personal approach to something internally that feels playful to you, but it doesn't have to be something that is shared or is overt or can be, yeah, deemed playful by the people. And I just thought that was, again, that's within all of our gifts, right? You don't need playmates for that. You don't need environments for that, which welcome this. It's something that you can decide, hmm, how can I tackle this problem playfully? Um, so I just... I found that freeing too. I found a lot of what he said very freeing. I think there was something about, and it kind of links back to that example, the value of play in situations which are not about play. So taking it mm. out of the realm of games and finding ways of inserting it in unlikely situations. Um, so as he did there, he did it in his own head. But, you know, finding mm. those little ways, you can bring it where it's not, an obvious place to bring it. Yeah, I think the last thing that I kind of noted down was this just really fascinating idea that, again, when we're children, when we're younger, play is such a valuable and required tool. You know, it's a method of interacting with the people, with our environments, understanding how do we 
kind of respond to the world. And and then we just kind of eventually gather enough experiences of doing that, enough kind of responses with how do we interact with the world. We gain power through gaining those experiences. And then it's just like, oh, you're not needed anymore, play, because I've kind of got I've got a full inventory now of mm. kind of ways in which to interact with the world. And it's seen, you know, as this kind of superfluous, inefficient thing on top now. And I was just like, again, fascinated as to kind of the trajectory it goes on from being so central and so required and so powerful as a tool of learning how to interact with the world to being this, it's like you fill up all your units of learning and then it's kind of discarded. And Mm. I just found that really, really, a really powerful idea. I'd love to change that. Yeah. And the the inverse relationship between power and play. I hadn't really Mm. hadn't thought of it like that before. It's really Mm. one to ponder. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. We're releasing episodes every two weeks, so do hit subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget, you can find us at www.whyplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on our homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd love to hear about, guest suggestions or questions about the work we do with organisations, we'd love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest and we hope you'll join us then. <laughs>